Would you open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4? Galatians chapter 4, as we've been going through the book of Galatians, as hopefully most of you know by now, and you have been learning to defend the gospel of free grace in Jesus Christ alone, that salvation is not earned, it is not bought, well it is bought, Jesus Christ purchased it with his own blood, we receive it by free grace through faith in Christ alone, and, uh, but Let's go to the end of chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 21 to 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. The NIV will say the ordinary way. While the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at the, that time, he who was born according to the flesh, or the ordinary way, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, like always, to be kind and gracious and merciful to your church, God, as you breathe upon this text and open up our hearts and minds to understand the scriptures, Lord God. Teach us what meant so much to the Apostle Paul, Father God. Give us understanding, Father God, to listen to what the Scripture says as Paul teaches us, Lord God. Let us be men and women, Father God, who don't just read the Bible, but we dig into the Scriptures, Father God, and we desire to hear your voice, to hear your heartbeat, to hear your will, and to obey your will, Father God. Empower us today to worship you through the preaching of the gospel of free grace, Father God. Give us ears to hear, Father God, and hearts to apply. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Paul, in these last two chapters, has been in a great defense of salvation by faith. We've known that. We've been going through it for weeks and almost months now. And the importance of that, that faith, is in, faith in Christ alone is what brings salvation. Uh, and he's been using mightily a couple of Old Testament texts, uh, particularly concerning Abraham. And he, there's a reason for that, because the Judaizers, those false teachers that were teaching a, 
uh, deformed for uh, uh, gospel, a distorted gospel of salvation with a little faith in Jesus, but also circumcision and follow the law of Moses. They would also use Abraham and they would use these Old Testament texts to confuse people. False teachers usually use something from the Old Testament or the New Testament to confuse people. Uh, and nothing has changed. And 2,000 years later, people are still doing that. So Paul put people straight when it came to Abraham. He showed that Abraham supersedes Moses. That the promises made to Abraham supersede the law of Moses. That there was a promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed by faith, just like the man of faith was Abraham. And that the law came 430 years later, and the law governed God's people until the seed would come, which is Jesus Christ. So now that the seed has come and faith in the seed, now the Old Testament law is not needed because there's a new law. It's the law of love, it's the law of Christ, it's the law of Messiah, it's the, it's the law of the Holy Spirit living and working in our hearts now. I don't need commandments, all I need is Jesus. Something happens when a man believes by hearing, with faith in Jesus Christ. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, he asks, or by hearing in faith? Well, I know one day I heard something and I believed in faith and I was never the same again. I didn't do anything, I didn't know, there was no religious act, I didn't sign nothing, I didn't do nothing, I just said, Jesus, be my Savior, I'm a sinner. I heard by faith, I received the gift of the Holy Spirit, I received salvation and, and the deep work of the Holy Spirit on my life ever since. But understand something about this Abraham thing, I want to make a point, and I did this uh, when I was teaching out of chapter 3. Uh, we saw that both Jesus and John the Baptist had similar encounters with these certain religious people who thought they were going to be saved strictly because of their ancestral relationship with Abraham. Biologically, they were the same breed as Abraham. They were Jewish. They were Hebrews. And also, they did the best they can to keep the religious protocol, which people just, for some reason, love religious protocol. They, they find some kind of comfort in religious protocol when the only thing God's concerned about is the human heart and our faith in Jesus Christ. But anyway, we see that in Mark's gospel uh, in the third chapter. We see John the Baptist saying this, but when John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Start bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, as you've always said, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you right now, God is able from these stones around you to raise up children to Abraham. Jesus also had an encounter, and he had to say in the 8th chapter of John, he answered the same people and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if Abraham is your father and you're the children of Abraham, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, Jesus says, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you nothing but the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. We see from these verses and many other verses in the New Testament that everybody was holding on to Abraham as he was their salvation. It was either Abraham, because you know I'm Jewish, or because I was doing the law of Moses. They had it all confused. And, and Paul was setting the record straight of what saves a man. And you would think today in the 21st century, well, all right, I'm saved. I understand that. But please understand something. Satan is attacking one thing. This truth. 
You would think he's in, he's trying to destroy America. America is destroying itself. Please understand that. God has given man over to sin. Satan hates the truth. He hates the truth of free salvation paid for full and free by Jesus Christ. That's what he hates most and foremost. And that is what he is attacking first and foremost. He wants to distort the gospel at every generation, any millennium, any hemisphere, any attitude, longitude, makes no difference what culture we're from. He wants to distort the truth. Every time you hear someone speak, you have to have it in your heart, this better be the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should say that to yourself. Am I hearing the gospel? Or is someone telling me their opinions? Or their own desires? Or their agendas? Or their own misinterpretations? Or their own confusion? Or their own superstitions? What are men telling me? I pray that we foster this in your heart that you take preaching serious you take reading serious you take authorship serious that when someone opens up and says let's pray you take it serious when someone says let's see what the Bible says you take it serious men have died for this message Christ died to bring it we should die to keep it and we should die to defend it but as it is it's still with us today and people just love ancestral religion. Paul in these last ten verses drives the last nail into the coffin of these false teachers. Please understand that have been claiming and using Abraham's two wives and two sons as an analogy for two different covenants. Now I admit right now, this is very difficult as a preacher and a teacher to try to make this as relevant today as Paul was. I start off by saying this, it is as relevant for your life as it was for Paul's congregation. Second of all, how many people know the story of Abraham and Sarah? How many people know who Ishmael is? How many know who Ishmael's mother is, Hagar? Uh, how many know there was two covenants in the Old Testament? All right. It's difficult to really dig in deep when people really don't understand. So it, it's a challenge for me. But I have to do the scripture justice, and I'll, I'll do that the best I can. And we can spend a lot of time on this, going into an Old Testament uh, Bible teaching. And, and, and we're, we're Bible teachers, that's what we do. You know. So I want you to know how difficult it is, but I will do the best job I can to try to get to the main points of what Paul is trying to stay, say here. And this to bring us up to date on the book of Genesis and the covenants that we find in here. Listen to this. Two covenants were made by God. One with Abraham, one with Moses. One's called the Abrahamic covenant, one's called the Mosaic covenant. One is based on a promise made purely by grace. It, it is... is uh, Purely by God's grace to Abraham that a seed would come and all the nations of the world would be blessed to him just through faith. There's the Mosaic covenant that all the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, they had to live under this. They had to be governed under this. Paul in the previous chapter actually called this a guardian, a tutor, uh, to lead them to Christ. Uh, what he's saying though, but people got caught up in following Moses and they didn't misunderstood Abraham. 
And the promise made to Abraham far supersedes that the laws that govern uh, Israel through Moses. So Paul's saying, listen, these two women are two different covenants. Right there, being allegorical, very challenging. But we must just pay a little attention to what's going on here. Because this is what he's saying. One is based on free and supernatural promise of God. That's the one given to Abraham. The other is man's best attempt to fulfill something only God asks, but man, if he is honest, knows he can't do it. That's the law of Moses. We cannot follow laws because we are so imperfect from the heart. We cannot keep not one law, never mind ten, never mind well over 600. And 13 in the Old Testament. It's impossible for man to be saved by rules and regulations, ceremonies and rituals, where sin is by nature. One is natural, it's of man. It's, it's, that's, that's Ishmael. The other is supernatural, that's Isaac. One produces only self-deceived slaves. The other produces free and happy sons and daughters of God. One is of the earth and leads to bondage, to laws and rituals and ceremonies and so on. The other is from heaven and brings forth spontaneous worship from the heart, in spirit and in truth. Paul is saying all human beings fall into one or two categories. Either we're supernatural children of promise, like Isaac, or we're still earthly and natural like Ishmael. Now, to a non-believer, that wouldn't mean too much. But to a Christian, we understand the implications of what it means to be a son like Isaac, a son of promise, is what we have today, that we're sons and we're daughters of promise, of God's grace and God's Holy Spirit. Paul's point is this, those that are Laura like Ishmael, they're natural. Those who trust in Christ alone for salvation are like Isaac. They're of promise, they're children, supernatural. As we go to the text, Paul finishes the defense of free grace the same way he started chapter 3. And I want you to understand, chapter 3 and chapter 4 are highly theological. Paul goes into the Old Testament and really schools these false believers on what salvation really is. He schools them in the Old Testament. He schools them about Moses. He schools them about Abraham. And now he starts off, he's finishing the way he starts off chapter 3 with. He starts off with a question. In chapter 3, he asked a simple question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing in faith? Well, the Galatian church, like you, me, and you would have said, well, you know, one day I heard and I believed. I was born again. I don't know what happened. All I know is I went to church. I went home. I was a different person. God started doing something with me. I didn't do anything. And later on, I got water baptized because my heart was screaming to be water baptized. And I take the sacraments because my heart desires to take the sacraments. I go to church because my heart desires to go to church. I pray because my heart desires to pray. I go to worship with other Christians because my heart desires to worship with other Christians. I confess. I talk to other Christians. I get to know my pastor. I get to know the elders. I get to know the people in the church because my heart desires to do it. Not because the Lord told me to do it. There's something working in me. That's the law of Christ. Now he starts off with another question. Tell me, you who desire to live by the law, verse 21, do you not listen to the law? Paul now is not appealing to experience. He's not appealing to uh, theology. He's not appealing to... Uh, he's appealing to reason. He's appealing to... Are you really listening? 
You who desire all of a sudden to be saved by works. Are you listening to what the Bible says? When he says, do you listen to the law? Paul now is a transition. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the whole Old Testament. He goes, do you listen to what the law says? He could have said, you shall have no other God besides me. He could have said, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But he doesn't say that. He says this. Do you not listen to what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, one by the free woman. That's kind of confusing. Where's Paul going? Well, he's going to go into an allegory. But this is wonderful, and this is interesting, because Paul doesn't talk about a law. He's talking about the whole Old Testament. He's talking about two wives who had two sons, and for the reason that that is important, it represents either the flesh or the spirit that was promised in the Old Testament. Now, I'll, and when it comes to uh, application, I'll talk about allegory and, and, and its place in Christianity. Alleg allegory was a great rhetorical weapon in ancient Israel and ancient times and in ancient Rome and ancient Greece for winning an argument. It's still used today, but not so much as it was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago in Jewish rabbinical teaching and, and training, allegory would be used. After making every point a man could possibly make, then he would use the allegory to nail it home. To get a person to think. So they would go home with an image in their mind that they can reason through. The allegory was the last nail in the coffin. Jesus did this with what? Parables. He spoke in parables. Why? Because it, it got people to think. And if you were just one of the curious religious people, there's a lot of those around. Once they heard the parable, that, take, that takes too much. You know, I gotta think. Give me a break. I wanna see a miracle. Feed me. You gave me bread yesterday. Feed me. Where's the bread? Come on, you fed 15,000 people with bread yesterday. I'm here for another miracle. Jesus knew that. And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 no. You, you, need, you need the bread that leads to life. This bread still leads to death. So he started speaking in parables. Why? Because people just wanted a miracle. Jesus knew that. Allegory is the same way because it reveals the heart. Someone who's truly searching for the Lord. Someone who's truly searching for God. They're going to think through. When it says, do you know not what the Bible says? Do you not listen to the Lord? It says, we listen. We are to listen for the will of God. For God is talking in His Word. And for those who truly seek the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul and all their mind, they slow down. And they listen to the allegory. They listen to the parable. They listen to what Jesus is saying. They listen to what God is saying to their heart. Everybody else says, well, you know, I didn't see anything, so I'm out of here. I've been here 15 minutes and I haven't seen the dead raised, so I guess there's no anointing in the church, so let's move on. How sad. How, how really sad that is. It's so unfortunate. But understand something here. I'll talk about that later in uh, allegory. Paul could be allegorical. I can't. All right? I'm not an apostle, nor am I Christ. 
I just have to understand the allegory and let, let Paul use the allegories. Uh, the allegory is to get the Galatians church to see for themselves that they are the true children of Abraham. The false teachers, one of the keynote terms for the false teachers, that we are the true children of God. We are the true biological children of Abraham. We can prove it. We have been, we're Hebrews, we were circumcised. God only works for the Hebrew nation. And Paul was saying, no, that's not true. God works for anybody who has faith in Christ now. God blesses anybody who has faith in Jesus Christ now. They love this with children of Abraham. I showed you that in Mark chapter 3. I showed you that in John chapter 8. Everybody had, they had their pride in their ancestral religion of with children of Abraham. Nothing's changed. What Paul is saying, think through this. The true children of Abraham are not Ishmael. Ishmael was told, you cast out the woman and her child. For the son of the slave woman shall not be inheritance with the son of the free woman. You can't have two ways of salvation is what Paul is saying here. Paul helps to reveal a deeper meaning in scripture by using this. It has nothing to do with the physical descendants of Abraham. It's the spiritual children of Abraham that come to him simply by faith. And do the deeds of Abraham as Jesus said. What are the deeds of Abraham? Did you ever study Abraham's life? He didn't do too much. Matter of fact, he messed up quite often. But he believed by faith. Childlike faith. And God said, move from here and go there. And he left everything and he went. He went with childlike faith and childlike obedience. Very simple. Do you know, and I've shared this before, our faith today resembles more Abraham's faith than it does the way Moses worshipped, or David worshipped, or Solomon worshipped, or the kings of the Old Testament worshipped. Our worship today resembles more than the apostles' worship before they were saved. We worship by faith. It's simple, childlike faith. We trust in God. We don't have to have a a dead ox, we don't have to go to the temple, we don't have to stay behind the veil, we don't have to burn incense, we don't have to pray at 9, we don't have to pray at 12, we don't have to pray at 3, we don't need a sacrifice in the morning, we don't need a sacrifice at night, we don't need two sacrifices on the Sabbath, we don't need one at the new moon, we don't need one at the Passover, we don't need one at the Feast of Tabernacle, we don't need one at the Feast of Pentecost, Jesus Christ is everything! We need nothing! In Jesus, we have a temple, we have a priest, we have a lamb, we have everything, we have God Almighty. Everything is in Jesus Christ. That's our religion. I, I tell people when they're trying to convert me. I was training a Roman Catholic priest. I liked him a lot. And he was training in the gym, he didn't know what he was doing. So for pro bono, I said, listen, let me train. He goes, no, I, I can't afford it. I said, no, no, we're as friends. And we, we had a friendship, and a good friendship. And he was trying to tell me that he was trying to convert me to Catholicism, and I was trying to convert him to being born again. It was kind of cute. We were going back and forth, you know. I went to hear his homily. He came to hear me one day. It was, uh, it was good. But uh, he told me one day, he goes, but I, who knows if they're saved? I said, I'm saved. I said, you are looking at one saved sinner. I'm saved. 
because of what Christ has done. About six months later, we were talking. He goes, man, I'm glad I'm saved. <laughs> I, he, he, maybe he got converted, I don't know. But he realized what Christ has done all of a sudden. I'm not saying it had anything to do with me. But he heard what true faith was. I am saved. No matter what my sins might say, or the accuser brethren might say, I am saved. Please, we can go on and on and on here. I'm sorry I got off my notes. I'm going to go through this real quick. You ready, guys? Here's how it works. To simplify the whole section. God promised a son to Abraham and Sarah at the age of 75. A child of promise, free from God's heart, free from God's mercy, free from God's hand. But after 10 years, things got antsy, things got messy, and Sarah and Abraham took things into their own hands. They lacked faith, they lacked patience. Uh, so they took matters into their own hands, and they came up with a scheme. And this was the scheme. They would take Sarah's maid, Sarah's slave, and they would have a child by her. So Abraham, you know, so on and so forth, you do the math, and they, she conceives, and uh, Hagar, a slave woman, has a son named Ishmael, which they thought settled the issue once and for all. God made a promise. They waited 10 years. They were kind of old. Now they're 85. Abraham was 85. She's 75. Now they waited 10 years. Nothing happened. So they figured this is the best thing to do. Uh, so for the next 15 years, they went about as natural, like, you know, God's going to bless this. But guess what? God didn't bless it. God came and said, by this time next year, your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And he shall be your ancestor. So what happens? Next year, she has a child. Guess who don't like it? Ishmael and Hagar don't like this. Because... They had all the attention for 15 years. Abraham doted over the child. Abraham loved the child. As a matter of fact, when God told Abraham, get rid of the woman and the son, he said, let Ishmael live before you. What he was saying is, Ishmael's been my son for 15 years. I love him. And God never spoke back. He said, no, get rid of the son. Get rid of the woman. They have no possession with the son of the promise. Get rid of them right now. That was your scheme. I'm not blessing your fleshly scheme according to the ordinary. That was no promise of mine. That was your promise. And though you love the child, I'm not going to bless that. I blessed Isaac. But God in providence also took care of Isaac and, I mean, took care of Ishmael and his mother, Hagar. But the story teaches us many things. And what Paul was saying here, as then, because Ishmael didn't want to be left out now, he persecuted the true child of promise, and that was Isaac. And that's Paul's point here in this allegory, is that this is what's happening now. The Jews from Jerusalem who thought they were truly Christians, but they weren't, were coming down and they were persecuting the Galatian church. And Paul says, just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac then, that's what's happening now. It's interesting when it comes to uh, application to this text, I can jump all over it. And this I will do after I take a sip of water. Ancestral religion has always been a problem. We know that. 
whether it was the Jew 2,000 years ago thinking they were safe from the wrath of God because they were children of Abraham, or it's cultural Christianity today. People feel safe if they're around religion. People feel safe if they go to church. People feel safe when they can say, well, you know, my aunt is this, or my father's a preacher, or my mother did this, or my friend's on a mission trip. And, and they get around this ancestral cultural religion of Christianity today. People feel safe, but they're not born again. There's people probably in this room, you're not born again. I love you, but you're probably not born again. There's probably people, I don't know who you are. It's between you and God. But just because you come to a born again church doesn't mean you're born again. Doesn't mean you're safe. And I say that because I want you to be saved. I don't want you to come here for 20 years or 10 years or, or hear the gospel for 20 and 30 years and, 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 and God say, I never knew you. That, that, I wouldn't want that. My job is to tell you, you have to make sure you're born again. There are churches right now, churches all day today, every Sunday you get together, they talk about Jesus, they talk about religious things, they talk about spiritual things, but nobody's saved. What good is it? At the end, they might feel comfortable on this earth, but at the end, they're not saved. They've never been born again. Ancestral religion does not save. A man and a woman has to come to two true understandings of life. That at the root of their heart, they are sinful and rejected by God. But through Christ, anyone can be accepted because of what Christ has done. And be saved and born again. By simple faith. This is the double-edged sword of the gospel. God loves human beings, but he hates human nature. Hates pride. Hates sin. Hates the arrogance. But sent this son. Ancestral religion is still with us today. People feel safe by going to church. People feel safe by saying, Jesus is my Savior. I had a conversation, both me and my wife, with a gentleman the other day. I know him very well. He's been... I know him very well. Over 15 years well, he's been coming to my men's Bible study from my apartment. And uh, I know him. I know his life. And uh, I said, you know, he goes, I believe, Brian. I said, but you're not born again. He goes, how do you know I'm not born again? I said, well, your attitude right now is showing that something's wrong. And, uh, I said, and then we went through a couple of ABCs, and I said, and I said, there's, there's some confusion there, so we need to sit down and go to the Bible and see what the Bible says and hear what the scriptures say and so on and so forth. But because someone feels comfortable, they went to a Christian church for a little while, and all of a sudden they disappear, there's a comfortability that I'm saved. Do you know what later on we're going to take communion? You know what communion is? Do you think communion is just a piece of bread? Do you think communion is just grape juice? Communion is like baptism all over again. Communion is like saying, I renounce the world every time. Communion is coming and saying, Jesus, I am a sinner in need of your salvation. Communion is saying afresh every time, God, I need you most desperately in my life. That's communion. That is communion. And we continue to do communion every time we meet. We take communion to confess our need for Christ still in our life. Even after we've been born again. He goes on to say, don't you listen? 
Scripture is not just meant to be read. God expects us to listen intently and to chew upon the Word of God. Christianity from the beginning, along with Judaism from the beginning, has been a religion of thinking men. It is not about emotions. It is not about experiences. It is about, have you not heard what the Scriptures said? It is about listening intently. Listen, has anybody gone to bed lately thinking that God Himself died for you? Has that thought put you to sleep? Has that thought woke you up that the only reason you're going to heaven is because the Son of God shed His blood? Has that not entered into your thinking at all this week? Something's wrong. Have you not wept a tear over sin and indifference in your life? Have you not looked at the world and said, Oh my God, it's a mess. Have you not listened to what the Word of God says? Or is it just something the past is supposed to read? We are to listen to the Bible. It speaks very clear, very authoritative, without error, the will and heart of God Almighty. How do we not read the Scriptures? How do we not make it a lifestyle? Allegory. Many over the years and still today believe they can apply allegory to their interpretations. I don't want to get into the history of the Christian church and how they abused allegory, but it has been abused. But understand something, when Paul goes into the Old Testament and takes out this story of two women and turns it into an allegory, Paul's allowed to do that. Paul sees what we can't see. Paul knows what we don't know. Paul is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're not. We are filled with the Spirit and we have the mind of Christ. And through proper exegesis and exposition, we can, in proper study, we can come to a, a very good understanding of what the Bible says. But we're not inspired to come up with an allegory of what the Old Testament means. That's Paul is allowed to do that. Allegories usually mean something deep and secret that you don't really see on, off the top. And nobody would have read in this story would have thought it meant two covenants. The Apostle Paul saw it. He's allowed to see it. And thank God he did see it. Everything me and you do today, everything a teacher or a preacher of the gospel says today, has to be clear exposition. It has to be so clear that you can apply it almost immediately to your life. That's how you know you're hearing the gospel. If I have to think about it so long that it makes no sense and I have to try to find out what the secret interpretation what the deep hidden meaning is it's not Christian preaching Christian preaching is upfront forthright straightforward and always as Paul points to Christ and his work on the cross any kind of you know what you want you want to have some fun tonight go home I forgot what time it's on, but it is on tonight. Uh, the Wisdom of Kabbalah. 
You want to get confused? You watch that for five minutes. They start off here with three numbers, and you're over here, and I don't know how to get from one place to the other. But that is what they do. It's allegorical. Watch it, the wisdom of Kabbalah. And uh, if you're really into being confused and learning nothing at all, that's what it does. Allegory, when it's spiritual, when it's scriptural, points a person to the atonement of Jesus Christ and what God has done for sinners through His Son. Amen? Amen. Always remember that. If you are listening to an allegory and five minutes have gone by and it makes no sense, turn it off. Please. Just, just move on. Just, just move on. If it's not leading to Christ, then it has nothing to do with the Scriptures. A couple other things and we'll close. <clears throat> Verse 25 says this, Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present-day Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Religious slavery or bondage, it means to be controlled by. Understand something about religion and slavery. What Paul is saying here, those who, the Jews in the Jerusalem that were still following Moses and a little bit of Jesus, in his experience, in his interpretation, they are in bondage. They're in slavery. Now here's the thing about religious bondage. You don't know you're in it until you get out of it. You can't say, you know something? I'm in bondage over here. I'm really in bondage. If you ever did say that, that's because God opened up your eyes to see Jesus Christ. Because a veil remains on their eyes, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Every time the law of Moses is read, there's a veil on people's eyes until God removes the veil in Christ. So people, and many of us come out of orthodox backgrounds, you can't see bondage. But you know there's a manifestation of it that you can see. It's called superstition. Religious superstition. And many people that we know, especially in Orthodox churches and backgrounds, the, the, you've got to remember what superstition is. It's, uh, it's based on fear. It's, it's based on ignorance. That you need to practice and do certain things so you will appease the gods or appease God. And, and, and this is what it is. And it's, it's sneaky. It's beguiling. And there's people that are scared that if they, especially around the Lent season, you know what I mean? I see the worst of people giving up the best of things. I'm like, you gotta be crazy. I'll take that. You know, throw the steak away. I'll, I'll gladly eat that. Give me the ice cream. You're pouring on. Give me that. I love the Napoleons. Don't worry about it. I like dark chocolate. Give it to me. I'll eat that. God's concerned about giving up sin, not ice cream. Please. But it's Lent. And people get bound up and fearful if they don't give something up. Come on, we come out of that background. We understand that. It's real. It is really real. And, and even worse than that, I mean, I was talking to someone I love very much, an aunt of mine, very religious, and uh, they're getting kind of old, so I had to speak to her about the gospel and about dying. And, and the fear that gripped the woman, because I started talking about death in a very real way. See, when someone's saved, you can sit there and say, you know, you only got 10 minutes to live. You're like, praise God. <laughs> praise God. What am I going to do? I got 10 minutes. All right. 
I got 10 days. Okay, I'll cry. I'm going to miss people, but I'm going home. But when you tell somebody who's in bondage to religion, they can't even hear it because they have no assurance of salvation. There's a fear there. And I've been sharing this over the weeks. No, a religious person in, a, in an orthodox religion, let's talk about now, it's Greek orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, let me be very clear with this, and in other, in other religions, they don't think they're too good to go good enough to make it to heaven right away. But they cannot say they're bad enough to go to hell. So they live in between this world. They don't know if they're going, but they don't think they're going over here. And then we present the gospel to them and says, well, you are definitely going there. If you don't accept Christ, then you can go there. So I only say that because if you witness a lot, you will see a lot of superstition in people. They can't talk about the facts. They can't really think through the faith. They can't really think about the implications of what's going on in the gospel. And of course, persecution. Listen, persecution, Paul said, all those who press into godliness will be persecuted. Even Jesus' brothers, John 7, 5, didn't believe in him. Uh, even his own family, when they heard about Jesus, they went out to size him. They were saying, Jesus, he's out of his mind. Cain killed Abel. Ishmael mocked Isaac. Saul hated David. People, listen, when you are saved by grace and you have the assurance of salvation and you can wake up every day and say, praise God, hallelujah. When you have the assurance that your sins are forgiven, people that go through a religious protocol, they don't like that. Because, you know, something just doesn't look religious. We do not look like a religious crowd. I can tell you right now. And I like that. Because we look like a saved crowd. That's much better. There's nothing formal here. People will come in there and say, oh, they got that little Bible study going on over there. They sing their little songs. They say their little prayers. You know, I don't need it. It's so cute. No, this is salvation. This is salvation. It might not look the best, but this is salvation. We will be spending eternity with each other. We ought to love and cherish each other and be concerned for each other. Understand something. True Christianity should and will be challenged at times because we're not yes people. If you're a Christian, you cannot be a yes person. We live under certain dogmatic absolute truths. Jesus is the only way, that's it. You can't get around it. If you truly believe in that, and I hope you do, and you like to share the faith, and I hope you do, you will find yourself in some battles. Because the world doesn't want to hear Jesus is the only way. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear about morality. You try to live for God. Is it? You know something, I don't go see our, me and my wife do, you know, we, we don't see R-rated movies. You know, right away you're a fanatic. You know, I don't want to see a man and a woman on a 40 foot by 40 foot screen having sex. Is there something wrong with me? I'm doing everything I can to fight the good fight over here. And, you know, it's better enough I got to walk down Times Square and look up and I see a 40 by 40 screen. Well, look at this, a Victoria's Secret advertisement over here. And I got to say, by no means am I going to look at that. I will not allow Satan to pollute my mind. I won't allow it. I'll keep my mind straight. I'll keep my eyes down. I will not look at it. And I'm going to fight the good fight. People think that's strange. 
Praise God. Because God doesn't think it's strange. Listen, if you're a Christian, and you live like a Christian, and you talk like a Christian, and you witness like a Christian should witness, it will bring us into being persecuted for the faith. And Jesus said, Blessed are when you are persecuted and reviled for my name's sake. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they did to the father and the prophets. Witness for Christ. Tell people that there is a way to salvation. And only one way. A man needs to be born again by the Holy Spirit. And last but not least, and I'll close with this. Verse 26 and verse 27. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who lay... Who or not labor. God desires His people to have a sense of joy and celebration in their lives. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm reading a wonderful book now by a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a preacher back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Wrote a book on spiritual depression. So I got this book, and it's 21 sermons. And he's right when I read him that God's people, whether it was when he wrote the book back in the 50s and the 60s, or whether it's today, God's people are missing a deep sense of the joy of the Holy Spirit. He's for all of us. Dish, it has nothing to do with personal disposition. It has to do with believing the Scriptures. It has to do with the exercise of faith. They call this man logic on fire. Because if he saw it and the Bible said it, he believed it. And with that comes a great life. As Christians, we should shout aloud. We're sinners saved by grace. Who has more reason to shout hallelujah than a born again believer? Who has more reason to walk down the block with their head held high than a born again believer? Who has more reason to say God is good than a born again believer? Who has more reason to wake up and say His mercies are new every day than a born again believer? Who has more hope in this world than a born again believer? Our hope goes behind the veil, it goes beyond the grave, it goes right into heaven. Please understand something. Let the joy of the Holy Spirit be us. Father, we thank you for the word, God. We thank you for Paul's allegory, Father God, his analogy of these two different covenants, Father God, that Christians find themselves in today, Lord God, as we truly live by faith, Father God. Unfortunately, we're persecuted by our kissing cousins, Father God, and we, we, we love them, Father God, where they're, they're confused, Lord. And Lord, we just want to bless you that we do rejoice. Like the barren woman had more children, Father. We thank you, Father God, for every good and perfect gift that comes from above, God. We thank you that you're teaching us to listen to what the Scriptures say, Lord. And we thank you, O oh God, that we don't trust an ancestral religion anymore. And God, if there's anybody here right now that's still trusting in, a, in an altar call they made many years ago, but they, there's no fruit in their life. Please, with your eyes closed. Please. There's people you're trusting in something, you, you said something, but there's no fruit in your life. You, there's no change. You're still living in the same sins. 
Same sins, year in and year out. No change, no deep repentance. There's a chance you might not be saved. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. Ask that you be born anew and be a son like Isaac. Ask the Lord right now to come. Is there anybody here that you really don't know if you're born again? Raise your hand, please. Make that peace with God. Once and for all, just make that peace with God. In Jesus' name I pray.